A reading from the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the 20th chapter, the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was also called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt. Believe. Thomas answered, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. I sent you a high water vehicle. I sent you a boat. I even sent you a helicopter. Those are the punchlines from the old joke about the pious soul who arrived at the pearly gates, wet, perplexed, and distressed. It seems that heavenly intervention had failed to make an appearance as the floodwaters rose. Only an unmiraculous collection of monster truck driving, fast fishing, National Guard volunteering neighbors showed up. It's the classic cautionary tale of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. You can't experience victory if you don't accept it. Today is the Sunday after Easter. 
first Sunday of the church season, Easter time. It's the part of Easter that gives us the opportunity to reflect on the Easter themes of resurrection and renewal and to center them on our own experience. This year, due to, due to the fortuitous convergence of the solar and lunar calendars, the Sunday after Easter is also Earth Day Sunday. David invites us to further center our understanding of resurrection and renewal on the place we call home. That's why we've decorated our worship space today with flowers and clippings and produce from our food garden. They are literal representations of resurrection and renewal. Renewal we continue to celebrate even as our own metaphorical floodwaters continue to rise. Renewal we continue to celebrate even as hypersonic missiles crash into maternity hospitals. Even as black men continue to die because a vehicle license plate does not match its registration. Even as atmospheric carbon levels mount. Even as our Texas governor buses the stranger to Washington, D.C. Even as we, too, cry out for heavenly intervention, or at least a high-water vehicle or a boat or a helicopter. Last week, we heard the Easter fanfare. We acknowledge Easter's universal victory over death. So, on this week after Easter slash Earth Day Sunday, here are the questions that we must ask ourselves. How will we know that Easter, how will we know that Easter victory when we encounter it in our own experience? And will we accept it when it shows up in the place we call home? Maybe we can learn something from today's sacred story that Chris just read. It's no wonder that the Easter story is called the Easter Passion. We love to focus on those parts of the narrative that are the emotional equivalents of an exciting basketball game. A heavily favored empire stunned at the buzzer by a giant rock unaccountably rolled away. An empty tomb, the dropped jaw of a shot Roman soldier. But in the scenes presented by our gospel correspondent John, we don't see much excitement at all. On the contrary, we find those closest to Jesus frozen in a state of fear, huddled together, doors locked. Yes, something miraculous appears to have happened, but the backlash will surely be severe. Better to keep our heads down. Then, drama returns. Victory shows up. Jesus is standing among them. Resurrection and renewal have come to their personal experience in the place they are calling home. The only thing that can deny them this victory is if they do not accept it, which Thomas tries to do. Just as the referees are about to certify the score, Thomas demands an official review. He needs to see the nail, see the nail marks and the spear wounds. So, Jesus extends his hands and opens his cloak. 
Amos sees the literal evidence he has demanded and exclaims, my Lord and my God. Evidence offered, proof accepted, victory preserved. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus chooses to issue a lessons learned report. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Jesus tells Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. At this point, I must concede that theologians far more learned than me have analyzed this thing. They note that Jesus made a similar point in congratulating his cousin John, the Baptist, for believing in Jesus' miracles even when John was in prison and couldn't see them. They also point out that most of us have been born since that awkward moment with Thomas and therefore have no ability to see the physical evidence. Having said that, I believe that this sacred story is also pointing directly at Thomas, as well as all of us who would weigh Easter against worldly standards of evidence. I think that Jesus is telling those timid disciples if your standard of proof is what you have seen, you should never have been huddled in this room in the first place. Did you not see me when I healed the sick? Did you not see me when I declared the poor to be first and the rich to be last? Were you not with me when John, not to mention legions of evil spirits, declared me to be the Messiah? Blessed are those who believe that I have changed the world, even if worldly evidence suggests otherwise. The reason I keep making these points about rescue and victory and not relying on conventional standards of evidence is Earth Day. Let's face it, the real message of Earth Day 2022 may be the only message is that we are in definite need of rescue. The good news, I will say once more, is that we have acknowledged the universal victory of life over death. The questions, I repeat, are, will we know that victory when we see it, and will we accept it when it shows up? The observation of Earth Day began on April 22, 1970, here in the United States with bipartisan political support. That date was chosen to take advantage of one of the most powerful advocacy tools that had emerged during the Vietnam War, the college teaching. April 22nd is right in the middle of campus rally and demonstration season. Today, Earth Day is observed worldwide. The Paris Climate Accords were signed on April 22, 2016. I remember the first Earth Day because I was fortunate enough to have a high school teacher who structured several class periods as an Earth Day teacher. Among my memories from that 1970 Earth Day were pictures from the 1969 Santa Barbara oil spill chemical waste pits in a region of New York that would later become known to us as Love Canal, and fires in Cleveland on the Cuyahoga River. In a twist of historical irony, 
The drama of NASA's Apollo 13 mission had just concluded the week before. That's when we first heard the iconic phrase that has since become so applicable to Earth Day. Houston, we have a problem. But also prominent during that first Earth Day was one of the most hopeful images anyone has ever seen, then or since. A famous picture of Earth as a beautiful blue ball, first captured by Apollo astronauts in 1968. Through that image, our Earth became almost universally recognized as an ark, as the only home we have. I don't have to tell you that 52 years later, that unity is gone. Our Earth's terminal environmental affliction, climate change, has emerged in the most insidious way possible. It divides us in what we see and in what we believe. Most North Americans see a rise in mean global temperature in terms of altered growing seasons and maybe higher home insurance rates. Millions of sub-Saharan refugees see it from the point of view of no growing season and no home at all. Pacific Islanders believe their impending submergence is strongly linked to the gigatons of carbon we are throwing into the atmosphere. More than a few United States Congress people believe that sunspots are the culprit. And so this Earth Day Sunday, 2022, finds us gridlocked, and according to the latest report from the United Nations, on a fast track to disaster. Even in my most fervent proclaiming moments, I cannot tell you otherwise. But here is what I can proclaim. There are high water vehicles and boats and helicopters in plain sight. They are not technical or political or economic, so many will not recognize them. They are the very things that got Jesus killed, so many more will not accept them. But remember, Jesus was killed precisely because those things did change the world. As he told Thomas, blessed are those who believe in the victory of the new world I have shown you even when the evidence suggests otherwise. And so, revisiting the old joke one more time, here are three more I sent you punchlines, this time from the field of eco-theology. Eco-theology is basically the study of how we center Easter on our planet. Please know that these pithy statements come from the serious scholarly work of others. If you like, I can direct you to my source material. I sent you stewardship. Stewardship is an explicit expectation of my Genesis pronouncement where I granted you dominion over the earth. It's also a natural result of responding to my love. Which part of responding to my love do you not understand? I sent you justice. Do you remember blessed are those who are persecuted? Do you remember sharing one another's burdens? Do you remember the blue ball? 
And I sent you virtue, love, joy, peace, forbearance, gentleness, self-control. Surely with all those assets, you can figure the political stuff out. I'm going to close by once again reminding you that this is the Sunday after Easter. Easter has happened. And in need, as in need of rescue as we are, we are the beneficiaries of what that means. It means, as Carter Hayward observes in today's affirmation of faith, that we are participants in an ongoing incarnation. It means, as Dr. King and others have said, that the moral arc of the universe will continue to bend toward justice. It means that love will never die. So, how is it that we can know victory and accept it when it shows up on our planet? It's because we are Easter people. And Easter people, in the words of Wendell Berry, are holy creatures, living among other holy creatures in a world that is holy. Amen.